The following has been recorded at Cairn University. Any reproduction of this recording without the express permission of the university is prohibited. Good morning, students. I hope you guys are awake. And um, <clears throat> I'm going to warn you, I have a weak voice because I'm on some medication that affects my voice. So please bear with me. Um, I was hoping I was the chosen speaker for Monday, uh, Martin Luther King Day, because I figured as a black preacher I can speak longer without having to stop. <laughs> I was hoping I got that privilege, but I didn't. I was a student here, and um, I must say it's a lot different than when I was here physically. There's uh, Starbucks on campus. There's all these cool things that we didn't have, but I do know that the same commitment to God's word uh, is here from the time I was there. Um, I was here when it was called PBU, Philadelphia Biblical University. Um, and I can tell you right now, this five of the great, greatest years of my life was here. If you notice, I came in 1999 and graduated in 2004. So it took me a little bit longer to graduate than the average student. Um, but those years were very important. And even chapel was very important. Um, there's a man named Jack Kranz that spoke in chapel while I was a student here. And Jack, when I saw Jack, <clears throat> I said to myself, he reminds me of Willie Branch. And so I knew that I would be good. If I stayed in Pennsylvania, I can be mentored by Jack. Or if I went back to New York, I can continue to be mentored by Willie. And today, uh, what, 20 years later or so, I'm mentored by Jack Kranz and serve with him. And his son and I serve at a church together as pastors. So PBU, Cairn University, uh, for the, the students who are here, these are going to be some of the most formidable years of your life. Uh, last year was a very challenging year for me because um, I had uh, some friends who walked away from Jesus. They did what is called deconstruct. And it, it, it came as uh, very painful because some of these friends were men who I learned from men who I tried to emulate their uh, intellect and their way of defending the gospel, I tried to emulate in my own life, my own studies, for them to publicly uh, deconstruct and say I'm leaving the faith. It rocked me. It didn't rock me in a sense that I felt that my faith was in trouble. It just rocked me because you, when you see people who served Jesus now deny Jesus, it hits you. <clears throat> but I'm no fool. There's many of you who are here today that's probably teetering on the idea of deconstructing. Some things you've seen, some things you've heard, some things you've experienced that you're having a tension in you. And so I hope by today's message, I can help you to see that there is a positive way to deconstruct. There is a way to do it which doesn't make you leave Jesus, but actually find Jesus in a more profound and powerful way. The passage I have today before you may not seem like a passage for deconstruction, but I don't think anyone ever asked the question, what in the world was John doing in the wilderness? Why did he leave? John was the son of a priest, Zechariah, which means John was supposed to be a priest. And at the age of 20, he would have assumed that role 
in the temple. But we didn't find him in the temple as a priest. We find him in the wilderness. Something must have been going on in the temple that made John deconstruct and leave what would have been a very comfortable life. I'm going to read this passage again, and there's some names that are very notorious that we have to look. Now, I've always in the past looked at this passage as just an introduction to John the Baptist, but it's more than that. Luke is telling us something. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar. So the word reign there means uh, the world rule. So he was the ruler of the world. And sometimes we don't really care because it just seems that this is just leading us into where John comes on the scene. But this guy rules the world. He runs the world. In fact, the Romans looked at him as God. And he would have had some of the same titles we apply to Jesus, such as Savior. But he was an absolutely vile person. Historians tell us that he was a bad ruler because he didn't like doing the work of running the empire because he was an extreme pedophile. And in his home, he would have little boys always around him naked. He would rape people, men and women, and he would even molest babies who are still breastfeeding. So when Luke tells us that's the man that rules the world, He's trying to tell us what the world was like. Because if he's on top, imagine the empire. Some of you have looked at some of our political leaders and want to know how in the world they got where they are. And deconstructing comes sometimes when you look at these authorities and you're like, they have no right to rule because they're immoral. He goes on to say Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea. These are all political leaders. He went from the empire now to something more local. He's the governor of Judea. Some historians question the narrative of Pontius Pilate and Jesus because he comes off pretty innocent and pretty, you know, he seems to be trying to not crucify Jesus. But the reason why the historians question that narrative is because usually he was very brutal to the Jewish people. And he's their governor. The governor that John the Baptist was under. It goes on to tell us about Herod, who was Tetrarch of Galilee. Now, if you know the Herods of the Bible, they were never good people. In fact, the Herod during the birth of Jesus, try to get him killed. And his father, the Herod, when he died, he asked that people get murdered around Judea so that they can mourn for something because he didn't expect anyone to cry for him, but he was going to make sure there were weeping and crying at his death. And his sons are ruling the local governments. I believe John sees these things. I believe he's under this political system that clearly is corrupt, clearly run by madmen, clearly immoral. But it goes from the governors and, and, and the 
Caesars and it takes us to the religious leaders. Maybe we'll have some good people there. Maybe we'll have some honest people there. It tells us that it was during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Now, if you just read the Bible, you'll see that there's no place in the Bible for two high priests. And this was, this were, these were the people that led Israel's religious system, especially its sacrificial system, and there's two. And it just so happened that Caiaphas was the son-in-law of Annas. Annas was really the power behind the scenes. John was supposed to work for them. He was going to be a priest who answered to the high priest. That was his lot in life. But you find him in the wilderness. I wonder why. History tells us that they were running a racket. Annas and Caiaphas and the family owned a business, and the business was selling sheep to be sacrificed in a system that they ran. And so how they set it up is that when you came to Jerusalem for, to sacrifice, you couldn't just bring any sheep. You have to bring the sheep that's been stamped and approved by the family of Annas and Caiaphas, and they will be glad to sell you one of those sheep. So remember when Jesus goes into the temple and turns over the tables and opens up the stalls and animals runs out, run out? That was their stalls. Now imagine running a religious system that you actually make into a, a money-making venture. I think John sees these things. And he says, I can't be a part of that system. Some of you here right now, and you've been looking at the religious system of your parents, the system that you've been a part of. You look at the political leanings of your family, of yourself, and there's a tension inside of you. But you can't say it because you don't want to look bad. But there's something about what's going on where you feel something isn't right. I think that's where deconstruction starts. John would have seen who Caesar was and the power he has, but yet how evil and immoral he is. He would have seen Pontius Pilate and how brutal and evil and oppressive he was. Then he looked at the Herods, and you don't even have to explain them. They were terrible leaders. They were not really Jewish, but yet they were ruling the people. Then he saw the religious system that he was supposed to be a part of. And I think in street language, he bounced. Some of you might be thinking of bouncing. Some of you might look at Christianity in America and listen, the numbers are dwindling anyway. So you might say to yourself, why don't I just jump on that bandwagon and leave because there's a lot of reasons to leave. You might see how we have found a way to, to align ourselves with, with uh, political parties, both sides, and think that somehow that alignment would lead to a more Christian nation. And you smell the stench of that, and you want to bounce. So John bounced. But this is what it says. And I like this. 
during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. My prayer for you who are smelling the stench of this political, you know, syncretism, smelling the stench of our religion being more lucrative than many other ventures, and wanting to leave, my challenge is to wait on the word of God. Because the word of God is powerful. It's real, it's genuine, it's pure. John left. Now imagine, he was young, he had to be young. At 20, he was supposed to be in the priesthood. So I think he might have left around 20. Went into the wilderness as a way of saying, I'm not down with those systems. They're broken, they're corrupt. I can see through them. But in the wilderness, God found him. And the word of God, the Bible says, came upon him. It says in your versions, it came to him, but it came upon him. In some way, it had to be overwhelming. Something happened in the wilderness with God's word that brought John out of the wilderness to the people. And for those of us who, who want to leave, for those of us who feel, I'm done with this system, it's okay to be done with the system. Don't be done with God's word. So look at this. I want to go through a few things. What kind of word came to John? Now, this is hard because <clears throat> what is the word of God? Now, it could just be simply God telling John what to say, like the prophets of old. The word of God came to this prophet that it could be the Holy Spirit overwhelming John in some way and inspiring him. I'm not sure exactly what it was, but it did something to him. And I have five things that it did to John. It, one, the word of God here is a, is a selective word. It's a biased word. You know, we want to celebrate the world as if we're the same. And I'm not speaking arrogantly, but we're different. And one of the challenges with young Christians is that we actually want to be so loving and caring for the world that we don't realize that there is a distinction between the people of God and those who are not. And the distinction is important because God makes us right so we can go to those people and reach them. But we want to be so aligned and connected to them that it's hard for the word of God to come to us. Because when it comes to us, sometimes it's offensive because we love the world so much. And I'm not saying the world, the system, I'm talking about your friends and your family who you don't want to offend, who you don't want to hurt, who you don't want to push away. And so instead of being in the wilderness where God's word can come so that you can be a good source of God's truth, you've just aligned yourself. But the word of God here tells me it's selective. Why do I know that? It bypassed Tiberius. It bypassed Pontius. It Pilate, it bypassed Herod and all his brothers, it bypassed Annas, it bypassed Caiaphas, and it came to John. God wasn't playing games. Tiberius was not his man. Tiberius was not going to get the word. There's a whole bunch of people that we want to think are on our side. I have yet to see a politician that's not a Christian. but the word of God isn't going to them. Perhaps the word of God will come to you. 
But if you don't realize it's bias, it's selective, you might think we're living in the we of the world. Everyone's the same. God is looking for his children to rise up and serve. The word of God was overwhelming. It came upon him, scripture says. It was invigorating. It got John out of the wilderness. Now, homeboy was straight up in the wilderness. I could see being upset at the system and saying, you know what, I'm done, I'm gone, I'm going to the wilderness. But after a few days of the wilderness, Dwayne Walton will be back in Judea trying to get a job. <laughs> the wilderness is tough, it's rough, it's nasty. But John made it his home. It says that he's eating wild honey and locusts and dressed in camel's hair. So at some point, John said, all right, this is what it's going to be. Because I am not going to try to find honey because I'll get stung and probably die right there. John says, I'll just do it. I'm not going back. Have you ever been there so stubborn about something? I'm not going back. But John, you got a lot of sting marks on your face. I ain't going back. John, that camel clothes is ugly. That's not drip. I'm not going back. Locusts, we got chicken, John. I am not going back. I don't think John went into the wilderness like we think he did. I think for many of us, we think John just knew I'm supposed to go to the wilderness and wait for Jesus and come out and do my thing. I think John went to the wilderness because he was sick of the system he was a part of and that he was going to live and die in that wilderness. But the word of God was so invigorating, it stirred something in him, and it says it, it sent him back to the very place he left. I want that type of word. I want that type of Holy Spirit filling that empowers me and calls me back to the very place I shut down in my heart and my mind. The word of God was an inspiring word. It gave John something to say and what did he say? So often we are loquacious. I did that, that's a pun, because loquacious means a lot of words, and I'm saying a lot of words. John didn't have a lot to say except repent. It was an inspiring word. Repent. Because God is doing something different. You see, with deconstruction, we end up throwing everything out. And the one thing that gets thrown out the most is the sense of sin and holiness. Many of the men that I've wrestled with who've left God, they've left the idea of sin and holiness. And I ask them often, what do you really have to offer the world? Everyone's still in their sin, and you accept it as just, that's just who they are. But John was given a word, and the word was so inspiring, and it told him, go preach repentance. But this is why the wilderness is important. The wilderness is a lonely place, isn't it? The day you look at the systems and say, I'm not a part of it, you're going to lose friends, sometimes family. How many churches split or have people have not come back because of political, the political drama of the last three years. When the Christian says, I'm not going to be a part of that, 
they often find themselves in a sort of wilderness, a lonely place. It's a painful place, the pain of losing family and friends. It's a place of hunger and thirst. You hunger and thirst for, for friendships. You hunger and thirst to belong to something. You hunger and thirst to be okay with everyone. It's a cold place. I didn't know this. At night, deserts are cold. I would, have, I would have assumed that at night, the deserts are hot. But it's not. But how many of us who say at some point, something is wrong about this, feel the coldness of people? It's a dangerous place. The wilderness is where all the wild animals are. And once you start being lonely because you've said there's a holy God and I'm not going to put up with some of the unholy things, I see some of your friends and family become wild animals that will devour you. But what I notice about the wilderness is also a place that God shows up. I think of Hagar and Ishmael in the wilderness and God revealed himself as a God that sees and a God that hears. Moses was in the wilderness and he saw a burning bush and it changed his life. Rightly, we were afraid of the wilderness. But somehow the wilderness refines us. John couldn't preach repentance unless he was at a place in his life where he was purged himself. He couldn't go and critique the religious leaders and the political leaders if he wasn't refined himself. He wouldn't have anything to say unless the word of God really came upon him. And some of us are in a place where it's very difficult to hear from God. There's too much noise. The wilderness is a dangerous, it's a cold place, it's a lonely place. Some of us need to be there so that God's word can really start to change us so that we can go and address the issues that we see that are wrong. I'm almost done. <clears throat> I think I have eight minutes. Let's talk about what kind of person gets the word, because I think that's important. Now, John is one of my favorite characters of the Bible. He seems to be one of Jesus's favorite characters in the Bible. And I don't think because they're related, because Jesus at one point said, hey, listen, let me tell you something. The greatest man born of a woman is John. The greatest man born of a woman is John. And if there's anyone that should know this, it's Jesus. What is it about John that would make Jesus say that? All he was was a man that left the political and religious system and said, I'm bouncing. I think John was a person who valued obedience over comfort. Obedience over comfort. I know of some Christian institutions that the person who led the institution was in gross sin and everyone knew about it. It was in the inquirers, it was on TMZ but they continue to be president of these institutions. And I bet that it was some men and women who stood up in protest, never to be heard of again. Sure, there were some students that said, hey man, this doesn't seem right, never to be heard of again. 
Sometimes we have to, not sometimes, all the time, value obedience over the comfort of having things stay the same. We have to value truth over power. He was a priest. That's power. There's power to it. The people look at you and just assume you know God. That's power. And John, at the age of 20, maybe younger, said, I value God's truth more than that comfort and power. He valued faithfulness to God over compromise. Some of us are way more faithful to our friends and the world's agenda, the world's agenda, than we are to Jesus. I've heard from Christians who've told me, I can't address this sin in my friend's life because I love them and I don't want to lose them. Besides, is it really sin as long as they love each other? We're more faithful to them than we are to the word of Jesus. And so we compromise. We have a compromising faith. But if you think your generation is the one that's compromised, uh-uh. The American church had been compromising for a long time. John valued righteousness over acceptance. He wanted to be right with God, and very few people would accept what he was doing. Finally, it seems like he valued God over what the world had to offer. I'm almost done. Imagine John, who's supposed to be a priest, leaves, goes to the wilderness, comes back, and is baptizing people at the Jordan River, and everyone's coming to him. They don't have a lamb in their hands to sacrifice. They came to him because he was preaching a baptism of repentance. And he was preaching that, and the political and religious leaders Asks, what in the world are you doing and by whose authority are you doing that? And he didn't budge. He didn't have to answer them because the word of God came upon him. You have an embarrassment of riches. You have Bibles in every single translation. You have access to every single theologian in the history of the world. You can open God's word. You're in a biblically-based university. So if anyone can say the word of God comes upon them, it should be you. But is it stirring something in you to say, although I am not happy with some of the institutions that I see, some of the corruption, some of the alignment politically, but because I got God's word, that's enough to send me to preach a gospel of good news to people. I'm burdened. 
some of you are willing to give up this blessing. Some of you are ready to leave. You're going to go into a sort of wilderness, but it's not the wilderness that God's word will find you. It's a wilderness of transition back to the world. And I pray you would say, no, I'm going to do what John the Baptist did. I'm going to wait on the word of God. I'm not leaving him. I may leave some political parties or alignments. I may leave some churches that aren't doing the work of God. I'm not leaving Jesus. What did Peter say when Jesus says, if you're going to have eternal life, you have to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, and people left. They deconstructed. Deconstruction isn't new. Jesus looked at the disciples and said, oh, you guys are going to go. What did Peter say? Where can we go? For you have the word of eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we can't ignore the big, fat, purple elephant in the room. Many of our Christian institutions are hemorrhaging young people. Churches, schools, you name it. Many of them are upset at what they see. Rightly so. But they often leave everything, including the riches of your word. And I pray if there's any students here who are teetering on that, who are being honest enough to say, I don't get it, it doesn't seem right. They will reject the idea of leaving Jesus. They will pursue a wilderness in their hearts and their minds from these things and pray to God that his word comes upon them and open the scripture that's before them and find you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.